Our loving Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for giving us your word. Thank you for giving us the opportunity to meditate upon it. And thank you for giving us your Holy Spirit so that we can understand it, that we can uh, implement it in our lives. So may the words of my mouth and the meditations of each one of our hearts be acceptable and pleasing to you, our rock and redeemer. Amen. So in our first couple of um, steps into the book of Acts, we looked at Christ's work in preparing his disciples for the birth of the church. In the first sermon, we looked at key aspects of Jesus' last 40 days that he was with his disciples. Then in the second sermon, we looked at the next 10 days when the disciples came together prayerfully preparing for the Pentecost. In the third sermon today, we are going to dwell on one of the last few things that the disciples needed to take care of before the church was ready to be born, the replacement of Judas Iscariot. We look at why Peter thought that Judas needed to be replaced. We look at how they went about doing it. And we look at what the fact of this replacement tells us about the role of witnesses to Jesus Christ. So first we look at the, the why question, right? When you look at our passage, you find that Apostle Peter is beginning to take a lot of initiative um, even before the big day of Pentecost. So during these 10 days, when the extended group of disciples were there together, they gathered in prayer together, and somehow we know that the subject of Judas Iscariot came up. We don't know if somebody else brought it up or maybe Peter himself brought it up. But the fact is that in Acts, we see Peter is the one that verbalizes the issue. And he sees scripture verses that are directly speaking to what Judas did. And then he comes to the conclusion that Judas's actions was something that scripture had prophesied from long ago. He concludes that Judas was, had led the Romans to Jesus as a fulfillment of scripture. Now, we don't know all the scriptures that were flashing in his mind at that time, but it's possible that he was thinking of Zechariah 11, uh, 12 to 13, which says, and I said to them, if you like, give me my wages, whatever I am worth, but only if you want to. So they counted out my wages, 30 pieces of silver. And the Lord said to me, throw it to the potter, this magnificent sum at which they valued me. So I took the 30 coins and threw them to the potter in the temple of the Lord. But then there's another, uh, another scripture in the Old Testament that he could have been thinking of. It's Psalm 41, verse 9, which says, Even my close friend in whom I trusted, who ate my, bed, my bread, has lifted up his heel against me. Now in Acts, we don't know um, all of the scriptures that, that uh, Peter was referring to, but he, was, he certainly quotes two scriptures from the Psalms. The first one is Psalm 69, verse 25, which says, let his home become desolate with no one living in it. And he quotes another psalm, Psalm 109, verse 8, which says, let someone else take his place. 
So when Peter looks at these two verses, he says that these verses relate to Judas and these verses are telling us what we need to do now. And so the conclusion that he comes to uh, and that he presents to those gathered is that we have to have somebody else take Judas's place. And then of course, they lay down the criteria for replacing Judas. The criteria he articulates is that he must have been with the core disciples and have witnessed everything that Jesus did in his ministry from baptism all the way to the ascension, right? Now, this makes a lot of sense. I mean, this resume of the one who were, was going to replace Judas. So when you look at the big picture here, uh, this is what you see. Somewhere in those 10 days between Christ's ascension and the day of Pentecost, Peter felt that to start the ministry that Jesus was giving them, it was not enough to go ahead with whoever was remaining. Jesus had chosen 12 people and they had to go ahead with the 12 witnesses that, that were uh, the initial starting number that Jesus had selected. And that's what they understood that they needed to do. Now, let me, let me address a thought that you may, that may be coming to your mind. He says, well, if Jesus had to die by crucifixion, for that to happen, it would only happen if somebody in Jesus' inner circle were to betray him, um, right? Because otherwise, he wouldn't be um, led to the Romans. So it's possible you may be thinking that when Jesus told, selected 12 people, maybe he intentionally selected 11 disciples and one betrayer, right? I don't know if that thought has ever crossed your mind. So you might think, I mean, so that was Judas's role. So why bother to replace Judas? Why not just forget about Judas? and move on with the ministry, right? But think about this. Up to that point, most readers would only be aware of 12 men and a few women who were close enough to Jesus to even be in a position to betray um, Christ with some credibility, right? But when you actually look at the process that they choose to replace Judas, suddenly you realize at least this is what you know. I realized that there were a bunch of other people who actually were with Jesus in his entire ministry and, and witnessed everything that Jesus did. There were actually more people. And of that subset of people, they selected two candidates. And then finally, of those two candidates, God chooses one. In other words, there were a bunch of people who were close enough to Jesus, who had seen Jesus, who could have betrayed Jesus. And if you were to consider even those 12, it's not necessarily that Judas had to be the one that betrayed Jesus. Any of those 12 could have been the betrayer, right? So the fact is that, that Jesus' work 
hear his work of actually coming and being a witness to God and then dying on the cross, having been betrayed, that work would have been accomplished even if Judas didn't do the betraying. Because human nature is such that somebody else from his inner circle could have done the betraying. So the fact is that it is because, um, you know, when Jesus chose the 12, he didn't choose the 12 to betray him. He chose the 12 to do something very specific. He chose them to be a witness to him. And that is a very, very high calling. I'm going to call it like the office of the first witness. He had given them an office to be a witness to Jesus Christ of everything that he stood for, including his resurrection. And the fact is that one person who was chosen for that high office, the office of the first witness, did not fulfill his role as he was called to. And therefore, the scripture said that because he did, he did not fulfill his role, he had to be replaced. So um, let's, you know, when you look at the steps that they used then to replace it, they looked at the criteria. The resume had to be somebody who had been with Jesus the entire time. Um, and so they um, looked at somebody who had a resume of that nature. They found two people, as I mentioned, and then um, they cast lots. You see that process happening in the Bible a lot when they want Jesus when they want God to do the choosing in the Old Testament, they cast lots. I think that's uh, the, the Mennonites did that too, right? Um, it's, it's part of, uh, you know, it, it seems very random, but um, it's one of those processes that you see happening through the Bible. If a human being is not, cannot influence a decision, you can be sure that it was God's decision, right? And so it's, it's, a, it's a neat thing to actually cast lots to see what God is deciding. And so they cast lots, the lot fell on Matthias, and, uh, and, and Matthias became the 12th man who would take up the role of the office of first witness to Jesus Christ. So this sets up then the, the roles that were to, to follow, which was that these witnesses would share the gospel in the days to come Many people would come to Christ as a result of their ministry. And then those people would share with others and the, um, and, and the, and the faith would be carried from one generation to another generation. This, as we, um, this, this phenomena, um, I'm going to call generational witness. The Bible talks about this generational witness all the time. Again, it's there, right there um, in um, all the way from the Old Testament. Um, so, um, what does this mean for you and me? It tells us that when we are called to be witnesses to Jesus Christ, he is actually calling us to a very high office, the office of witness to Jesus Christ. And I would also say this, that the first set of witnesses he called 
to be his witnesses the the office of the first 12 plus witnesses i'm going to use the the, the phrase 12 plus because even though there were 12 uh, men that were selected we know that there were women and we know that there are other people too and so there was some number of witnesses we don't know what the exact number is but god knows that exact number were the first generation of witnesses subsequently there were um, the second generation that was called and and there are witnesses um, that are called every generation the fact is that in every generation god has called a precise number of people to hold that office of witness to jesus christ we may not know what that precise number is but the fact is when you look at the way judas was replaced you know that 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 number that god has preordained will not be messed up by even one if an individual does not play his or her role that individual is going to be replaced every person that means has a role in being that witness and passing on uh, uh, the role of passing on our faith to a certain number of people each person has been ordained preordained by god to pass on our faith to some of us it could be one person some of us it could be 100 people some of us it could be 1000 people god forbid it, that you know the it could never be zero for anybody and it could never be a ne- negative number although some people do that right when people see some people's faith other people lose their faith and that has happened right god forbid that um anybody plays that role of being a negative witness to jesus christ but the fact is that god has ordained individual people of every generation to play that role that high office that high calling of being a witness to jesus christ there's another side to the story the story of judas if you and i do not me if if you and i do not play the role that we have been asked to play then the fact is that god could choose to have somebody else be substituted for us god is fully capable of raising witnesses from other sources in fact we find jesus saying that if his if if these people his disciples did not praise him and cry out to him on palm sunday he said god could raise witnesses from the stones right and make the stones cry out so you think god is capable of raising witnesses from the pebbles that lie around the streets in front of our church god is capable of doing even that the fact is that god has called each one of us to be a witness to him and we have been also there is also a preordained number of people that we have been called to pass our faith on to and if we do not pass our faith on to that preordained number then god will substitute and and get somebody else to fulfill that role so my prayer is that each one of us takes our place fully into the office that god has given us god's work is not going to be 
um, be slowed down or be going to be hindered if we do not do what we need to do. God will find a substitute to make the work that he needs to happen, happen. But my prayer is that we will not shirk from or be hindered in the high calling of the office that he has given each one of us. That we will step into our roles and that, will, that we will be our witnesses in the fullest measure. So that if he has given us a, a preordained number of witnesses, we will be that witness to all of those people. I pray that we will be successful in passing on our faith to every last person that has been preordained, predestined to hear it from us. And that will enable us to be fully ready to cross the finish line and to receive the reward that awaits us in the arms of Jesus. This is my prayer for each one of us in our congregation. God has a beautiful plan for us, a plan to make us part of his team that is furthering the cause of his kingdom. God has used us beautifully all these years. There are many, many people who have heard about the stories of Jesus from us, right? But that number is not done till our last dying day. We still have more people to share our faith with. And I pray that we will get to the full number so that when God looks at us, he will say, well done, my good and faithful servant. Well done. The task may be hard and the days to come, I can tell you that the task is going to get harder and harder. But the one thing I can tell you is that the, that the God who is our helper is stronger and mightier than any barrier, than any challenge out there. No matter what the constraint is, no matter what the challenge is, God will help us overcome and help us be successful in the task that he has ordained for each one of us. Let us pray. A loving Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you that you don't work by accident. You don't work in randomness. You have a very, very deliberate plan for this universe, for this world, every generation. There are precise numbers that you have called, that you have preordained, that you have inducted into your office of being your witness. We thank you for the faithfulness of the previous generations. From the very first set of witnesses, the apostles, to the second generation and the third generation and generations on down to us. Lord, we know that each one of us here, if we have any faith at all, it is because somebody has passed their faith on to us. It did not emerge out of ether. It did not emerge out of nowhere. And we thank you for them. We thank you for those faithful people who by their words and by their deeds made it real to us that you are real. And because of them, we are here today. We have faith. Lord, I pray that we too will not keep it to ourselves, but pass it on to many, many people. I pray that you will strengthen us 
I pray that you will give us the wisdom that we need. I pray that you will give us the boldness that we need. I pray that you will give us the courage that we need. I pray that you'll give us the strength that we need, the help that we need, the words that we need, the life that we need. Everything that we need, Lord, I pray that you will give it to us so that we can fulfill the task that you have given every last one of us. And we look forward to what you're going to do, Lord, in the days to come. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.